Hello, 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 and welcome to Unbossed. I am Nina Turner, and in the co-host chair today, we have none other than JB. Jessica Burbank is in the house, and she is a TYT contributor. Jessica, is there anything that you're working on that you want the people to know about? Mm, that's a great question. On the Substack, there's a new policy, a new, it's a, a kind of a tax. Um, and so we're working on that. It'll be out this week at the end of the week. This week, you don't want to miss it. And you did one of your famous TikToks where you play like three or four or five or six or seven, eight different people all at once. Can you let the viewers know what that particular topic is all about? Yeah, and I love those, so, by the way. I love them. <laughs> yeah, I, I put my many hats to good use with those. Um, it's fun, but it's, it's actually devastating. Um, What's going on in Alaska? We had Biden promise before becoming president, no more drilling on federal land. We're not gonna approve any of these big drilling projects. And they call it the Willow Project, which sounds nice. It's not, it's going to produce over 250 million barrels of oil and annual emissions. That's the equivalent to 74 coal plants. So we're urging the Biden administration to not Authorize the Willow Project, and there's a petition, you know, in the links in all of my uh, social media. If you want to sign it, yeah. And what are your social media handles so people know exactly where to go? Yeah, you can go to K A Burbank on TikTok or Instagram, and then Jessica L Burbank on Twitter. There it is. You do not want to miss. I mean, Jessica deserves an Academy Award. She plays so many characters; it is out of sight every time she does them. I'm always looking forward to what you're going to do next, and such a creative but profound way on issues that matter to people across this country and the world. So thank you for that. And today, Jessica and I are going to be talking about, you guessed it, East Palestine. We're not letting this go. The struggle still continues. We're also gonna go to Tennessee and this Tennessee state rep has really lost his ever loving mind. And we'll let you know why during that segment. And later in the show, the sick care industry has left one woman with a six figure pregnancy bill. You heard me right, six figure pregnancy bill. Where are those pro-lifers when we need them? We need universal health care in this country and you would think the pro-lifers would be all for universal health care. But we're gonna talk to you about her plight and how her plight could be the plight of Somebody that you know and love. But we're gonna start off in Greece. Yeah, we're going over, we're going international right now first. I want you to watch this, a train crash that claimed many lives. In Greece this morning, we have new video of the moment of impact in that country's deadliest ever train crash. Tuesday's surveillance video shows one of the trains approaching from the left of your screen before a bright flash of light and a massive explosion. At least 43 people were killed and more than 50 others are hospitalized. Officials still don't know why the two trains were on the same track. This morning, railroad workers went on strike to protest the country's poor safety record. They went on strike. The railroad workers in Greece went on strike. You may be old enough to remember how the 117th Congress, the Congress right before this Congress, we're in the 118th Congress. I'm talking about the 117th Congress along with this president took away the right of our rail workers to strike for paid sick leave. And instead of holding the robber barons responsible and to make sure that they got that sick time, they took away their right to strike. But in Greece, 
The workers said, oh, hell no, we're not gonna stand for it. And they are already on strike. Now we definitely must lift those who lost their loved ones. And our thoughts and prayers are certainly with them. This is absolutely devastating, whether it happens on our soil or somebody else's. This this is a type of story that you just don't really want to hear about, that things like this should not happen. And here are some more updates. The Greek prime minister pledged an independent investigation and said the crash appeared to be quote, mainly due to a tragic human error, end quote, but did not elaborate. Greece's firefighting service said nearly 60 people remained hospitalized late Wednesday, including six in intensive care. Journalist Eli told the BBC that 20 to 25 people were missing, but that some may have left the crash scene unnoticed. And this reporting is coming from USA Today. Further, the station master in the city of Larissa, near where the two trains collided Tuesday night, has been accused of manslaughter by negligence and grievous bodily harm by negligence, police said. The station master who is in charge of signaling denies wrongdoing and has blamed the accident on a possible technical failure. The BBC reported. Now, furthermore, Greece officials are taking responsibility for this terrible, terrible tragedy. Greek transport minister resigned on Wednesday, saying he felt it was his duty to step down out of respect for the memory of the people who died so unfairly. So, Jessica. That is a lot different than what happened in the United States of America. It was swift action. It didn't take 18 days. It took a matter of this just happened and we need to get on top of this right away. Yeah, you can't help but draw parallels from what's going on in East Palestine to what's happening in Greece. And because it happened in Greece, I think it's appropriate. There's a story in Greek philosophy that a lot of people know of. It's Plato's allegory of the cave. And it's basically a bunch of people are in the cave and there's people behind them casting images on the wall with a shadow. Uh, They hold up these little sticks with wooden figurines and there's a fire behind them. And so people think this is all there is. It's just we watch these cool shadows on the wall. And of course there are people from outside of the cave that are like, of course you have to come out. Like there's a whole world outside. That's kind of like when people study abroad or go live abroad and come back to America. They're like, there's a whole nother world out there where things are very different. And of course, there's the trope that people are so terribly annoying when they study abroad. But they're trying to tell us that in other parts of the world, they do things very differently. People expect things of the economy and government like they they do in Greece. The workers are able to strike and are willing to strike. People support the striking workers and the government is responding and holding industry accountable. We don't have that here. No, we do not. We got a lot to learn still and I love the Plato's allegories. (laughs) You're right on point with that. And you know the swift response, though, that JB and I are talking about by Greece's leadership did not hesitate. Is a really a glaring contrast from the snail pace response to East Palestine derailment by U.S. Transportation Secretary, none other than Mayor Pete Buttigieg and this administration. Now, as a reminder, the East Palestine derailment happened on February the third. Pete Buttigieg tweeted on February thirteenth. That was his first official statement about the derailment. That was 10 days after the fact. And here is what the secretary 
tweeted, he said, I continue to be concerned about the impact of the February 3rd train derailment near East Palestine, Ohio, and the effects on families in the 10 days since their lives were upended through no fault of their own. It's important that families have access to useful and accurate information. Cuz yep, that useful and accurate information will definitely answer all the questions that they have about the tragedy that they endured. Nothing beats accuracy and good information, access to it, useful and accurate information, nothing beats that. Now, Roger put up, continue to be concerned is a hell of a way to express being silent for 10 days. And Roger is absolutely right. There is no excuse whatsoever when a tragedy of the magnitude of what happened in East Palestine, Palestine, Ohio, there really is no excuse for the Secretary of Transportation to take 10 days even just to put out a tweet for the love of God. But he wasn't just slow with his initial response. He really tried to minimize or downplay the whole incident. Take a look. While this uh, horrible situation has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year of a train derailing. Basically saying, hey, this is just one of a thousand. I mean, what, why are y'all making a big deal about it? Making a big deal about it because people's air and water and soil have been poisoned. People were told to evacuate. People are in fear. They discombobulated over what just happened to them. That is why you need government to respond and to respond swiftly in situations like this. And he finally showed up though, finally came to East Palestine 20 days later when asked about why it took him so long. This is what he had to say. You know, what I tried to do was balance two things. My desire to be involved and engaged and on the ground, which is uh, uh, how I am uh, generally wired to act, and my desire to follow the norm of transportation secretaries, allowing NTSB to really uh, lead the initial stages of the public facing work. I'll do some thinking about uh, whether I got that balance right. I'm glad at least he's thinking about whether he got that balance right. He did not get that balance right. You most certainly did not get it right because people need to know that you care about what they are going through. That's politics 101, even before you take any action. And as you stated before, there are thousands of derailments a year. Don't you think that should have been a priority the minute you assume the role, the minute that your office was made aware that a train derailed that was carrying chemicals that has poisoned the water, the air, and the soil of a group of people. I mean, yeah, that means get there. That means make a statement quick and then to physically get there. Doesn't have anything to do with the other investigations that are going on. You got to get there. And for the neoliberals, this is a repeating pattern. Wait until a disaster happens, then talk about it. They never seem to take account. They need they they don't even try to have preventable measures. The same goes for the GOP. We're not gonna let them sweetnesses get off the hook either. But while the Secretary Pete waited and waited, the residents of East Palestine suffered and continue to suffer. Take a look. I mean, I'm showering in the water, and every time I get a shower for two hours, it's like my body is on fire. Why have I never experienced that for the 44 years that I've lived in East Palestine up until this happened? And they're saying it's safe, but if it's safe, 
it is not a coincidence that, you know, all of these residents are having the same symptoms, the same things happening to them, and they want us to believe that. She's not buying it, Jessica, at all. I want to thank Status Quo for their reporting on this. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I really like what you said about neoliberals, just making excuses for terrible things being the status quo. He uses like it as a reason, you know, well, there are many train derailments every single year. Okay, so day one of you getting an office, maybe propose some regulations, which is a part of his job to propose regulations in the form of legislation in the rail industry. And he didn't do that day one. He didn't even do that right after the derailment happened. And of course, there are a bunch of people making excuses for him, saying it's not his job when it is precisely his job, saying, well, this happens all the time. Great, you're the public official that can do something to make it different. And we hear this argument a lot that like, well, this is how it always is, but it's not a reason for it to stay that way. And if we can change it, Naturally, we should if people are getting hurt and land is getting destroyed. Yeah, say that, uh, Jessica. You see how he eased that in? He wanted to follow basically the tradition of previous secretaries of transportation. That was their way to 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 say something about Elaine uh, Chow. Hey, if Elaine needed to be criticized for the job that she did, then she should have been to the job. You know, it ain't to go backwards. It's really to go forward. It's to set the standard. And I personally have higher expectations. I would think that. The, the Democrats will want to comport themselves at a higher standard than the Trump administration, but that's what they fell back on, believe it or not. I mean, it really is quite stunning that they did that. And right here in the state of Ohio, do not think we are not letting Governor Mike DeWine off the hook at all either. He took a long time to respond. He tried to give the residents the confidence to drink that water because he did drink it as well, even well before. I mean, it really makes no sense that he would do that without making sure that there were deep dive tests. And I mean, really deep tests to determine whether or not that water was actually safe. Thousands of thousands of fish have died, other wildlife have died in and near East Palestine. And you got people like Governor Mike DeWine saying, go ahead and drink the water. So we haven't forgotten about the governor. He needs to do a better job. And by the way, he has received campaign contributions from the rail industry, as has a lot of Democrats and Republicans. Ultimately, this comes down to the owner donor class once again, even in the face of poor and working class people being impacted. So it doesn't matter whether it's East Palestine, doesn't matter if it's Flint, Michigan, doesn't matter if it's Jackson, Mississippi or Cleveland, Ohio. This is about class warfare and a system and a group of people who control the system, whether it's on the governmental side or the industry side who believe that working class people are expendable and their kids are expendable and their communities are expendable. America, this is what this comes down to. And you've heard me say it time and time again, I'm gonna continue to say it. If you don't have a sugar daddy, a sugar mama somewhere or sugar somebody, if you work for a living, whether you are among the working poor or you are solidly middle class or you are up blessed enough to be in the upper echelons of that working class, if you must work for a living, then we are all in the same boat. And what happens over in East Palestine happens to Cleveland, Ohio, happens to Flint, Michigan, happens to Jackson, Mississippi, and so on and so forth. Fill in the blank on your community. And so to have people who have a callous indifference to this suffering, it should not be acceptable 
at all. So President Biden, now we on you. So Governor DeWine certainly is not without fault in this disaster. He went on Fox and said the following. Governor, I just have one question for you. Uh, Congressman Bill Johnson came out and says, President Biden, come see, come down here. 5,000 Americans who call the little, this little small Appalachian town home. You pride yourself in your lunch bucket nickname and tout your blue collar Scranton and Pennsylvania roots. Mr. President, there's nowhere more blue collar than here. Come down and see it. Do you believe he should come down and see it? And are you offended he hasn't? Look, he should come. There's no doubt about it. The president needs to come. Uh, the people want to see the president. He should be there. And Governor DeWine is right about that. He should come. The people want to see him. He should come. But it seems that you know this may be falling on ears that are not really listening to what the people have to say. Let's put up this headline from what the president, President Biden says he doesn't have plans to visit train derailment site in Ohio. Why? Well. Secretary Mayor Pete Buttigieg had an answer. He said the following, Buttigieg said the reason President Joe Biden has yet to visit East Palestine, Ohio and the site of a recent toxic train derailment nearby is because of the disruptive effects it could have on the community and the cleanup process. Newsweek reporting. What, I mean, this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to quote, uh, to, to, to quote, uh, uh, one of my uh, dear colleagues, the math ain't mathin', Andrew Yang, that this is not really making a whole lot of sense. Donald freaking Trump went, he slugged his way, he came on to East Palestine. There's absolutely no reason why President Joseph Biden cannot do the same. And even President Obama went into Flint, Michigan during their water crisis. Now the president drank that water and I don't think he should He should not have drank that water. And my conversations with many of the residents in Flint, they were absolutely offended that President Obama drank that water, but he did. He did drink it, he came, but he went, he went there, all right? And President Biden needs to do the same thing. Don't drink the water, but he definitely needs to go there. And just the callous indifference. But this administration is also apparently content with some of what is going on. Let's put up this next headline. Officials in Texas and Michigan say they were unaware that the toxic waste cleanup from Ohio derailment was being sent to their communities. You heard me right, and if you're reading, you read it right, that we are, I mean, folks are taking this contaminated soil and spreading it abroad to other communities in this nation. Whether it's Texas is getting some of it, Michigan is getting some of it. It makes no sense, America. Why would we accept that and why would they do this? Yeah, why would they do it? And let's put up this headline, labor unions say East Palestine cleanup site workers are falling ill. Now the Biden administration will blame the Trump administration who will blame the Biden and Obama administrations. And it's just a circus of blame. Now that we have the fact pattern, thanks to the lever, it is past time for us to do something about the short term and long term needs of the folks who live in this community, period. And some of that is legislative, some of that is just going down there and just letting people see you and to know, to be able to look into your eyes and know that you actually give a damn about what they are going through and then take action. It is also about making Norfolk Sutherland bounce so hard that they will never ever do something like this again. And so that is the reality that the surrounding areas are getting caught up in all of this political foolishness and mayhem and even in parts of Pennsylvania. And we'll remind you what my stunt double had to say 
about this matter. You, Nina Turner, you are a, a daughter of Ohio. I know you've been to East Palestine. Yeah. Do you think that the administration is doing enough? No. Uh, the state administration is not doing enough. I'm not pleased with Governor Mike DeWine, who actually drunk some of the water, giving people confidence that that water is okay, when in fact, that EPA didn't do the deepest dive that they can do to deal with the carcinogens that are there, the air, the water. No, and when I went there, then I saw both fear and anger in the eyes of the people there, GOP side saying, less government. You have the residents of East Palestine saying that government is not doing enough. And they have been, not just them, they have been failed by subsequent many administrations. It's not just the Trump administration, it was the Obama administration, now it's the Biden administration. Yeah, they've been failed. But just because that is what has happened in the past does not mean that it has to be the reality for this moment. So Jessica, you know, I, I really did. I got a chance to go down there and you know, John Russell and Jess just having local people there be able to walk me through. And it was palpable the concern that the people of East Palestine have, not just had, but but have, and it is a righteous concern. So any final thoughts on this, JB? Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of why we need a negative externalities tax on these corporations. Not only that, but a windfalls profits tax as well, because we're seeing these railroads profit endlessly from raising prices because many companies can afford to or they just decide to raise prices. And so when you have Union Pacific profiting $7 billion in one year, like they did in 2022, of course, we need to tax that because they're enjoying excess profits at the expense of all of the consumers in America. They're raising prices simply because they can, because it's a time of inflation and they're using inflation as an excuse to line their pockets. That's a reason to tax them because you shouldn't be allowed to do that in an economy that supposedly works for the people to some degree. Not only that, but a negative externalities tax to clean things up. You can't just push the toxic waste to Texas and say, you know, everything's okay, mission accomplished, it's taken care of. And so I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that the economy doesn't work for working people. They're treated like they are expendable, whether you live in a surrounding neighborhood or you're someone who's paid for overpriced goods and struggled to pay your bills throughout the pandemic. Yeah, that is the reality. We want to change that, America. And we want you to know you are not expendable and you certainly deserve so much better than what you are getting. We are going to continue to keep an eye on this and keep giving you update after update after update. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show, my absolute favorite part. But let me give you some news that you can use. You can watch the watch list right after Unboss. You don't have to go anywhere. Tune in with J.R. Jackson and then Walter Masterson. Find Walter Masterson on Rebel HQ where he will cover Republican hypocrisy, right wing extremism, and talk about how these affect modern society. Watch his videos on Rebel HQ by subscribing at youtube.com slash Rebel HQ. And you can catch the Unbossed podcast wherever you get your podcast, baby. Go on and tune in and let everybody that know that you, that let everyone know who you know. 
that this is one of the best hours of their day. You can do that. Now on to the viewer comments. We're starting with our TYT members, Mountain Dragon. Hello, Mountain Dragon. It's Turner time to take Republicans and neoliberals to Burbank. Hello, somebody. That was cute how they did that, JB. This is going to be a great show. All love to you too and the wonderful TYT family. Thank you, Mountain Dragon, Jessica and I, thank you for that. That was that was slick, that's slick how Mountain Dragon did that. <laughs> <laughs> and on Twitch, C Prince Burbank is her own vibe, LOL. She cracks me up, she is her <laughs> own vibe. That's beautiful, Jess. I like that, that's a nice compliment. Very nice compliment, you got your own vibe. And Starting Park, hey Starting Park, Pete is acting like the Department of Transportation was written in the Constitution. Like it was this very historic precedent going back to the Magna Carta. It was founded in 1966. All right, starting part. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Vincent, hey Vincent. Neoliberalism equals golden shower economics. Ooh wee. And you know what that gold shower he talked that Vincent talking about. It ain't the kind of gold you want to wear around your neck. You better go ahead on Vincent and make that plain. Thank you so much for all of you, your comments, and thank you for your support of Unbossed and the TYT network. We would not be able to do what we do, boo, without each and every one of you. Now, I'm trying not to get the fire extinguisher out. I just need you to take a look at how Tennessee, one representative in Tennessee, has truly lost his damn mind. And I was just wondering about, uh, could I put an amendment on that? It would include hanging by a tree also. And uh, and also, uh, I would like to sign on to your bill, sir. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really saying, oh my effing God right now. The man said, could he add an amendment hanging by a tree? This dude. Said that he's elected to the legislature in the state of Tennessee that was very much involved in the lynching of black folks in the South. This man said, could he add to, could he add on to it? Lynching by tree. That's what this dude said. This is what he said. Lawmaker proposes hanging on a tree as an execution method, lynching lunacy. Michael got that right from the Daily Beast. Let me tell y'all something. This this is his smug shot right here. Y'all need to take a look at this dude. Now I, I I know that many of you may think by hearing what this dude had to say that we are back in the 1800s. I know you do, but I swear to you that we are in the 21st century, and this man fixed his mouth to say, could he add on to that lynching by tree? He did not hesitate. I'm telling you, this is Representative Paul Sherrill. That's who he is. Put his smug shot up just one more good time. This man said these things. Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Now, the House Criminal Justice Committee of the Tennessee Legislature, thank you, team, for putting that smug shot up, was discussing a bill to add the firing squad to electrocution. Now, they already out of their ever loving mind, right? Just right just there, too and lethal injection as the state's death penalty options. When Rep Sherrill suggested one more, could I put an amendment on that? That would include hanging on a tree 
Also, he inquired during Tuesday's proceedings. The man did that. The prospect of stringing someone from a tree has a particular history in a southern state such as Tennessee, especially in some of the rural communities such as Sherelle represents. That includes his hometown Sparta, where a runaway enslaved person was dragged from the jail and hung from a tree on a hill in the town cemetery in 1855. One man tried to stop the lynching and a newspaper recorded the mob's reply, hang the speaker to the other end of the rope. Let me tell you something, America, we got a problem. And it's in Tennessee, it's in Florida, it's in Texas. It is wherever these right wing GOP folks are, we have a problem. And you know what? We're not just gonna sit idly by and let these uh, folks take us back in time. And everybody should be outraged by this dude. Dude is even too good for this man, but it's a family show. Now I tried to be cool, calm and collected, but there is a time where you should not sit back and just pretend like everything is okay. This man is rotten to the core and it says a lot to the fact that the man got a title. That he is in the Tennessee legislature and he fixed his mouth to quote my grandmother to say, may I add an amendment to the bill hanging by a frickle frackle tree. JB, I'm telling you, I'm this close, I'm this close, I'm this close, I'm this close. Cussing needs to happen on this one. Yeah, definitely. It's insane that someone like this can hold public office. But we know the political system that allows someone like this to hold public office and there are still people that want to make the case that you know we've gotten rid of racism. There are people who are literally bringing back Jim Crow. That is their mission. And it seems as though they want to bring back all of the terrible things from the past in this country. How are these people getting elected to public office from the witch hunts and the satanic panic, the subjugation of women to bringing back Jim Crow? It doesn't make any sense. There are some good things we should bring back from the past, but it's like organic farming. It has nothing to do with how we ran the country. And so it's really sad that in a time where we have things we need to fix in this country, the death penalty is happening in really brutal ways all across the country from the electric electrocutions to you know the lethal injections resulting in people spending their last you know alive moments sometimes it lasts for hours having seizures and excruciating pain while they're paralyzed uh, this is a real problem that needs to be fixed not to mention death row I mean we should abolish the death penalty but here's someone who was tasked with doing their job of writing policy and instead they had to make it about bringing back lynchings because that's their primary focus. It's just disgusting. It really is just, I mean, I guess there are no schools that need funded in his state, no small businesses that could use a helping hand, no communities. But this fool right here says, can I add? Can I add to it? Tennessee, Tennessee, get your rep. I want you to take a look at these stats, these lynching stats. Lynching is a very real painful and ironically, folks, America, we just passed anti-lynching laws, just did that about yesterday. That was in 2022, if you can believe that or not. But let's take a look at the lynching stats. Lynch mobs in the old Confederate states, including Tennessee, <coughs> killed 2,800 people. 
Tennessee had 214 confirmed lynch victims during this period. 37 victims were white, 177 were African American. Tennessee ranks sixth in the nation in the number of lynchings behind Mississippi, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana, and Alabama. And you would think that this mofo, thank you, Kathy Bennett, Tennessee Encyclopedia, he knows this history, but he don't care. And obviously, the community that elected him, they don't care either. Because sometimes, you know, we got to look in all types of mirrors on how a fool like this got elected. And in her seminal book, The Red Record, Ida B. Wells Barnett, an activist, a businesswoman, a freedom fighter, and an investigative journalist who took on the lies of lynching when it came particularly to black men. Black women were lynched. We know that white people were lynched too, but most of that venom went towards black people. It was domestic terrorism to keep them in line because they was getting a little too uppity, feeling like they need to be treated equally in the land of their damn birth. They was just getting going too far, dreaming too big, reaching too high. That is what this lynching was about. And Ida B. Wells took on the system and exposed it for what it was. A bunch of weak willed white men. That's what it was all about. So let's look at what she had to say in her seminal book about the horrors of lynching, the lynching states. And there they go, enumerated in the same way that we just enumerated those by Kathy Bennett in the Tennessee Encyclopedia. But in her book, The Red Record, and I really encourage people to read it. Now, this is what she had captured at the time, right? Serious stuff. And let's take a look, look at something else that Ida B. Wells had to say that she discovered in her investigative journalism about lynching. Not only is it true that many of the alleged cases of rape against the Negro, because that was the first charge that these white men who thought that way, that's the first thing that they would say, are like the foregoing. But the same crime committed by white men, come on, let's rest right here, by white men against Negro women and girls is never punished by the mob or by the law. You better go ahead on and say that, Ida B. Wells Barnett. She did say it. She told the truth on this and she didn't, she didn't miss words. See, because black women and black girls, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our souls didn't matter. And white men could take us at will and did take us at will. Didn't matter. And Ida B. Wells Barnett laid it out when she said, hey, against the Negro woman and girls is never punished by mob or by law. A leading journal in South Carolina openly said some months ago that it is not the same thing for a white man to assault a colored woman as for a colored man to assault a white woman because the colored woman had no finer feelings, no virtue to be outraged. In other words, America, black women and black girls don't have any feelings that the white America ought to care about. She could be taken at any time and was taken at any time. You wanna talk about domestic terrorism. But nobody cared about the black bodies and black minds and black souls of black women and the black men who had to sit up there and 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 deal with it or be lynched or killed. They could take black women and black girls at will at any age and did so on a regular basis in this country. Ida B. Wells said it off straight. 
her other point, yet colored women have always had far more reason to complain of white men and disrespect than ever white women had of Negroes. Hello, somebody on that. Now this Paul Sherrell is a bigot and he needs to go and Tennessee you should be ashamed of yourself. For take letting a man like that even go to the legislature. This is happening in real time in 2023. This ain't 1823, it wasn't all right then. This ain't 1723, it wasn't all right then. This is not 1623, it wasn't all right then. All these microaggressions and stuff that black people got to continue to endure and y'all give power like this to this man? Lynching by a tree? Y'all be, go ahead and read out to be well. Y'all read it. This man is also participating in introducing legislation to change the name of a street from John Lewis Way to Donald Trump Boulevard. I mean, we can't make this stuff up. JB, I know we got to go to the next story, but I'm telling you, I'm fit to be tied. And I am not going to pretend like this is all right, that the transgressions of this nation don't have real impact to this very day. And if people are, are too shallow or too fragile to understand it, I'm sorry. That's absolutely right. I think the only thing I would add that hasn't we haven't already said yet on this story is that black folks in the United States are incarcerated five times the rate of white folks. So when you think about the laws within our criminal justice system and what's going on in states like Tennessee, in Mississippi, there are prison contracts where prisoners who are disproportionately black are doing labor and they have occupancy promises where the state says, you know, we'll keep the prison at, at this occupancy. So at that point, you're incarcerating people for the purpose of maintaining this contract so that they do labor for one, two dollars an hour. For people to look at the United States prison system and not see it as the continuation of slavery in a slightly different form is ridiculous to me. And then to add lynchings as a formal part of that system is additionally disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I am disgusted. Tennessee, we looking at you. That needs to be outraged. And it shouldn't only be black people who are outraged by this. America. On to the six-figure pregnancy bill as I, you know, get my composure back. The sick care industry is at it again. This is what a headline had to say or read. A surprise billing law loophole. Her pregnancy led to a six figure hospital bill. You heard me right and if you are reading it along with me, you read it right. This is the story of Danielle Lensky and the birth of her son. It was the first day of her family's vacation in San Juan Island last June when Dan Danielle, who was 26, week, 26, 26 weeks pregnant, thought she was leaking amniotic fluid. A registered nurse, Lansky called her OBGYN back home in Seattle who said to seek immediate care. I mean, that's important. If, if your water has broken, you got to get into that hospital right away. You can't play around with it. Now back in Seattle, doctors at the clinic found Lansky's water had broken early, posing a serious risk to her and the fetus and ordered her immediate admission to the Swedish Medical Center. She delivered her son after seven weeks in the hospital. Though she was treated for multiple postpartum complications, she was well enough to be discharged the next day. Her son who is healthy went home a month earlier. Now the complicated birth naturally required some follow up procedures. 
I mean, that's just common, right? It's to be expected. But Lansky soon developed a fever and body aches, and she was told by her OBGYN to go to Swedish emergency department. She said doctors there wanted to admit her when she arrived on August the 20th and scheduled a procedure for August 26th to remove a fragment of placenta that her body had not eliminated on her own. Again, people, very serious situation for a pregnant mother and a mother who just gave birth, very serious situation. Now Lansky would complete the procedure ready to move on with her family until the bill came. And here it is, you just cannot make this stuff up. Do you see it? And for those of you who are just listening, not watching, let me tell you, your total is $121,887. And they had the nerve to put 87 cents down there, JB2. They had the nerve to put the 87 cents down on that bill. Now this is disgusting, it is an example of a sick care industry rearing its ugly head and the pro-life politicians think that this is acceptable. Where they at? Where you at pro-lifers? We need universal health care in the United States of America. They refuse to do it. And how did the bill get this high? A contract between Regenerates, Blue Shield, Lansky state sponsored plan and Providence Swedish. That's how it is. Let's put up this. It turns out the Swedish Medical Center was out of network. Ain't this a blip? Just out of network. This is how her bill got so high, makes no sense. If we had universal health care, we wouldn't have to worry about this kind of stuff. And furthermore, the broader contract allows Swedish to bill members whose plan received out of network services, their 50% co-insurance, the patient's portions of the overall cost, the insurer allows the provider to charge with no out of pocket maximum for the patient. We have a problem. We just got a problem. And a recent study by Mount Sinai in 2022 found that public health insurance would be less of a burden on birthing families, especially low income. That public health insurance, including Medicaid, was associated with starkly lower risk of burdensome health costs than private insurance, particularly when health insurance premiums were included in spending for birthing parents with low incomes. Implementation of the Affordable Care Act did not significantly change the risk of catastrophic spending for parents. Jessica, we can't make this stuff up. This is real in the field in America in 2023. I can't even begin to comprehend how there are still people who don't think we should have universal health care. Um, we already tried to have market-driven health care, and the market has failed time and again. We already tried that. I can understand when people say, you know, I want us to have a free market because, you know, I like certain kinds of products and we probably wouldn't get that if the the government was making products. I don't want, you know, my hairspray to come from the government. That is so different from something that you need to continue to live. We need universal health care because People's lives shouldn't be a commodity or something to make money off of. It's just fundamental. Not only that, it's not necessary. We've advanced so much as human beings and built so much that we can take care of each other. Isn't that the whole purpose of people waking up and going to work and participating in our economic system? So we can improve our lives and meet our material needs. That's right. The economy as it's working right now is doing the exact opposite of that. And the consequences, so rich people can only have babies now, that doesn't seem like a great solution for for anybody. 
Uh, the Republicans now who are talking about you know how they're so worried that population's declining. Yeah, it, it, it really makes no sense. A six figure bill from having a baby, this is not right. It's immoral as hell. We must stop commodifying healthcare in the United States of America. Well, Jessica and I are gonna bring you a little good news. Like we rode y'all up, now we're gonna say, ah, right now, Eli Lilly to cut prices. Drug maker Eli Lilly says it will cut insulin prices by 70%. Yes. And insulin is tremendously expensive. Take a look at this chart from 2018. American insulin prices are off the charts, like literally off the charts. Average price per standard unit of insulin in select countries in 2018 and so forth. In America, about $100. In Japan, $14 and some change. Canada, $12. Germany, $11. France, $9 and some change. United Kingdom, $7 and some change. Australia, $6 and some change. And Turkey, $2 and some change. You got America at almost $100. Now, insulin prices have risen dramatically in the United States over the course of the past decade, leaving millions of Americans who suffer from diabetes with high monthly costs and they need insulin to live. This ain't a designer drug. This is a drug to keep me alive and keep my quality of life high. This is a necessity, much like water and air. Yeah, hello. Now, insulin prices in the US are dramatically higher than anywhere else. Drug makers had previously priced insulin at more than $275 a vial, representing a 1200% increase in the price over the past 20 years. And which we are very familiar with and have talked about multiple times on this particular show. So what is Eli Lilly doing? Eli Lilly cut list price by 70% for its most common, commonly prescribed form of insulin. Thank you very much for doing that. The drug maker will also lower the price of its non-branded insulin injection, injection Lispro. $225 a vial and expanded its insulin value program under which the $35 cap will apply to about 85% of US pharmacies. Come on, Eli Lilly, let's go ahead and make it 100 since you had 85. Might as well go ahead and round that thing all the way up. But this is really good. About 8.4 million of the 37 million people in the United States with diabetes. JB, this is some good news. This is some good news. I think it shows that public pressure works. I mean, yeah. this came out of people on Twitter saying, you know, we're gonna make it free. Uh, Eli Lilly had a bunch of their stock tank and they were pretty much organized into taking action on this. And I think that's really cool that people use social media uh, to get this done. And a lot of people talk about the cause and effect of diabetes that, oh, well, you know, people are eating very unhealthy. But why are people eating unhealthy in the United States of America and getting the form of diabetes that you're not born with? Think about the amount of individuals who are living in food deserts in the United States. That's again a failure of the market. It's not that healthy food is not in demand, it's just that there are intentionally created inequities in the United States. Every other country is astonished that fresh produce, rice, things that are healthy to eat are more expensive, not less expensive than things like McDonald's in the United States. So in many ways, this is you know the amount of people that are living with diabetes is a problem that's been created by the inequities of our system. But also people who have been rationing their insulin and dying. 
I mean, Eli Lilly also needs to be held accountable for that. Oh, yeah. uh, this is a step in the right direction. No, it is a step in the right direction. They should be held accountable. Glad they doing this. They need to go on to 100% and hopefully these other pharmaceutical companies will follow suit. And as a result of unacceptable corporate greed, speaking of holding them accountable, the price of insulin has gone up by over a thousand percent since 1996, causing 1.3 million people with diabetes to ration their insulin. Last year, while your company made billions of dollars in profits, that is absolutely unacceptable. And that is Senator Bernard Sanders weighing in on this, who has been keeping the pressure on these fools. And I'm so glad that he has. And as Jessica laid out, a whole bunch of advocates in that space have definitely put the pressure on. Pressure works. Power can seize nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will, quoting the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Now we got some more good news for today coming from Cambridge University. We are celebrating Jason R. Day. Cambridge University's Jason R. Day becomes the youngest black professor. Yep, he did that at just 37 years old. Jason is making history and here he is. What makes this even more amazing is Jason standing through tribulations from his early years, diagnosed with autism and global development delay in his early years. Jason was unable to speak until he was 11 years old and could not read or write until he was 18. You wanna talk about surmounting a mountain, hurdles, jumping those hurdles. There, Jason personifies that, but he didn't stop pursuing his passions at all. Born and raised in Clapham, Southwest London, Professor Arday, a sociologist says formative moments included watching Nelson Mandela's release from prison on television and South Africa's symbolic triumph in the 1995 Rugby World Cup. He remembers being deeply moved by the suffering of others and a strong compulsion to act. And from there, the motivation just ballooned into something special and meaningful. His mother played a critical role in developing his self-confidence and skills. She introduced him to a wide range of music in the hope that this would aid his conceptualism of language. But it also kickstarted a lifelong interest in popular culture that has characterized some of his research. Go ahead on mama. Supported by his mentor, colleague, tutor, and friend, Sandro, Professor Arday finally began to read and write in his late teens. He went on to get a degree in physical education and education studies from the University of Shoray before training as a PE teacher. Growing up in a relatively disadvantaged area and then working as a school teacher, he says, gave him firsthand insight into the systemic inequities that youngsters belonging to ethnic minorities faced in education. Jason's story, Professor Arde's story, is remarkable, not only for the way he stood through his trials and tribulations in his early life, but for the history he is making right now. Eight years on, he is poised to become Professor of Sociology of Education at Cambridge. There are currently five black people who are professors at the university. Official figures from the Higher Education Stats Agency shows how in 2021, just 155 of more than 23,000 university professors in the UK were black. 
Jessica, this is certainly something worth celebrating. I'm so proud of him. Yeah, this is such a cool story. I mean, it's really poetic that he is an example of someone who came out of you know a position where he was oppressed. And now to have a job dismantling those systems of oppression through educating other people about them and identifying you know, where change can be made. I think that's really cool. What really struck me in the article is they said, you know, I'm learning to become an academic. And that's really scary, right? Because they have their own language, it's very exclusive. And people who are black, people who are working class are excluded from academia and that absolutely needs to change. So it's just so cool that it's a story where it's not someone else pulling out the ladder behind them, but like building stairs for other people to do as he's done as well. Oh yeah, and just you know what he had to do to endure growing up. He could have given up, and certainly his mother, she she didn't give up, you know, on him. She kept pushing and finding ways to help him to learn and to grow, and to really, really, really believe in himself. And that took a lot for him to do it. And it just really reminds me of the African proverb that it certainly takes a village. To help one thrive, you know, it takes a village to, to raise children up. And he is the personification of that. If anybody is ever thinking about giving up, they should not give up. And Professor Arday is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful example. And speaking of wonderful, JB, it was so great to have you in the house today. Cannot wait until you are back again. Again, and let folks know one more time where they can find you. You can find me wearing all kinds of hats on TikTok at Coburbank, KA Burbank. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us today. You know what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith, but more importantly, I want you to keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.